Welcome to the podcast of Scott Street MB Church. We hope you find this message inspiring and encouraging in your walk as a disciple of our Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you, Carissa. That was lovely. Good morning, everyone. Uh, it is a pleasure to be here this morning on Father's Day 2019. Uh, I am very much looking forward to the birth of my son or daughter in September, but as that has not yet happened, I will defer all of your praise and recognition to all the other fathers in the room. So, um, This month we're looking at uh, different, different characters from scripture uh, in a series called Life Lessons from Ordinary People. So far we've looked at Enoch and Ezra, and today uh, we're going to be looking at the person of Isaac. And I guess his sons as well, but... Isaac is the focus, or he's what the sermon's named after, let's say that. Um, He's a wonderful character who has something to teach us not only about following Christ, but about being a father and a parent. Uh, And again, before we begin, I recognize that many of you in this room know a lot more than I do about being a parent, so uh, take this with a grain of salt. I mean, you can still listen, there's some good stuff in here. Speaking of good stuff, Calvin and Hobbes. One day in school, Calvin, the precocious, smart-mouthed kid, raises his hand in class, and warily his teacher, Mrs. Wormwood, asks, You have a question, Calvin? He replies, Yes. What assurance do I have that this education is adequately preparing me for life in the 21st century? Eloquently, he stands up and continues, Am I getting the skills that I need to compete effectively in a tough global economy? And dramatically ending his speech with a raised clenched fist, he proclaims, I want a high-paying job. I want success. And wait, what does he say? (laughs) Yeah, I want success. That's what he says. Uh, (laughs) Approaching his desk and tapping the pointer on it, Mrs. Wormwood looks down at Calvin and says, In that case, young man, I suggest you start working harder. What you get out of school depends on what you put into it. Calvin then responds, oh, then forget it. (laughs) Not every child is like Calvin, thankfully, but I've heard that raising any child isn't very straightforward. Even when you have a child that is willing to prepare themselves and work hard for life in the 21st century, it's not that easy, and I would know As a millennial, I still very much feel like a child preparing for life in the 21st century. (laughs) While I was growing up, I had some honorary parents, second parents, I should say, in Lawrence and Elfie Mason, uh, and being good friends with each of their sons. And in their house, they have a little uh, thing on the wall that says, uh, Dad's the boss, Mom says. (laughs) Well, the Mason boys didn't care so much for this thing. I thought it was funny every time I saw it. Um, Fatherhood may have changed a bit in our society over the recent years, but I don't think God's perception of what the father is to be and do has changed. So if you haven't yet, uh, please turn with me to Genesis chapter 27, where we find our story this morning. Uh, If you're using the Pew Bible, which Sabrina pointed out is a different translation than I'm going to be using, uh, that's on page 22, but you can still turn there. Okay, and thanks again, Carissa, for reading. That was, that was great. 
Here we have the story of Isaac bestowing his blessing on Jacob. Of course, the blessing was intended for the older son, Esau, but through a clever, deceptive ruse, the blessing was actually given to Jacob instead. As you may remember, Isaac and Rebekah had twin sons, Esau and Jacob, who were nothing alike. Esau was an outdoorsman. He had hairy arms and legs and and hands, and he loved hunting and fishing, while Jacob was more of a homebody. He spent a lot of time in the tent back home with his mother. And in Genesis 27, their father Isaac has grown old and blind, and he decides that it's time to pass on the traditional blessing to his oldest son, Esau. Now, a Jewish father's blessing is a formal passing on of the father's leadership and authority in the family to his oldest son. And since uh, the oldest son was to assume the family leadership roles and responsibilities, he also received a double share of his father's possessions. So this bestowing of the blessing was actually a pretty big deal. In verse 2 to 4 of chapter 27, uh, Isaac tells Esau, I am now an old man and don't know the day of my death. Now get your weapons, your quiver, your bow, and go out to the open country and hunt me some wild game. Prepare me the kind of tasty food I like and bring it to me to eat so that I may give you my blessing before I die. So Esau leaves, and while he's gone, Rebekah, his mother, seizes the opportunity to secure the blessing for Jacob, who is actually her favorite. Now, I know parents probably all have their favorites, right? Trish, who's your favorite? Is it Megan? It's probably Megan, right? I think it's Megan. Um, We'll just assume it's Megan. You don't need to answer. Uh, So she quickly prepares some food and tells Jacob to put on Esau's clothes to help fool blind old Isaac, because he's blind at this point. He can't tell which of his sons is who by looking at them. So she puts goat skin on his hands and on his arms to make them feel hairy. Then she sends him in with the food and to ask for the blessing. In verse 19 to 20 is where we pick this up. Jacob said to his father, I am Esau, your firstborn. I have done as you told me. Please sit up and eat some of my game so that you may give me your blessing. Now, Isaac was suspicious because Jacob's voice didn't sound like Esau's. So he asked, how did you find it so quickly, my son? Jacob replies, the Lord your God gave me success. Continuing in verse 21 to 23, Isaac says to Jacob, come near so I can touch you, my son, to know whether you really are my son Esau or not. Jacob went close to his father who touched him and said, the voice is the voice of Jacob, but the hands are the hands of Esau. Hmm. He didn't recognize him, for his hands were hairy, like those of his brother Esau, so he decided to bless him. The blessing was found in verse 27 to 29, as was read earlier, uh, and I'll just read it again now. So he went to him and kissed him. When Isaac caught the smell of his clothes, he blessed him and said, Ah, the smell of my son is like the smell of a field that the Lord has blessed. May God give you of heaven's dew and of earth's richness an abundance of grain and new wine. May nations serve you and peoples bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers, and may the sons of your mother bow down to you. May those who curse you be cursed, and those who bless you be blessed. After he received the blessing from his father, Jacob left. Shortly after, Esau came in with the game that he had killed and prepared and was ready to receive his father's blessing. Uh, Verse 33 and 34. Isaac trembled violently and said, 
Who was it then that hunted game and brought it to me? I ate it just before you came, and I blessed him, and indeed he will be blessed. And when Esau heard his father's words, he burst out in a loud and bitter cry and said, Bless me, me too, my father. Obviously, this blessing was meant for Esau and not for Jacob, but that doesn't change the actual blessing itself. I want to take a closer look at the blessing because there's a lot that we can learn here from Isaac. Uh, Dr. Gary Smalley wrote a book entitled The Blessing, uh, which I haven't read, but Pastor Rob gave me this reference, so I'm going to use it because it's really good. Uh, In it, he examines the blessing Isaac bestowed upon Jacob, and he says, this blessing contains four ingredients that ought to be present in every home today. And when those four ingredients are present and practiced consistently, then our children grow up solid and secure and confident of themselves, able to go out into the world and function normally. However, if those ingredients are absent in the home, too often the child can end up like Esau turns out to be, steeped in bitterness and anger. So here is the first ingredient. The first ingredient of this blessing is a meaningful touch. In verse 22, Jacob went close to his father who touched him. Verse 26, then his father Isaac said to him, come here, my son, and kiss me. Now, this is not an isolated incident in scripture. Almost every time a blessing is bestowed in Hebrew culture, it involves touch. The laying on of hands, a kiss, an embrace, something that conveys acceptance and love. Mark 10, too, says, The people brought children to Jesus so that he could bless them. Jesus took them, he placed them on his knee, he laid his hands upon them, and he blessed them. Jesus knew exactly what children need to feel loved and accepted. He lays his hands on them and he blesses them. It's important to do that in our homes, too. Uh, When children are very small, they won't understand loving words yet. So the best way to communicate love uh, to a very small child is by holding them close. So I hear. On the flip side, Jacob was 40 years old when he gets the blessing. So it's still important for physical touch to be part of that blessing, though, no matter your age. Personal contact, a handshake, a hug, a kiss, an embrace, it's, it's all important to communicate love and acceptance. So that's the first ingredient, a meaningful touch. The second ingredient of the blessing is words of affection and love. Listen as Isaac blesses his son in the last part of verse 27. He says, Ah, the smell of my son is like the smell of a field. What a wonderful compliment. (laughs) Mike, I just want you to know, you smell like a field today. I I think we can agree that Isaac doesn't have the spiritual gift of encouragement. Uh, But in all seriousness, at that time, to an outdoorsman like Isaac, who thought he was speaking to Esau... The smell of a field about ready to harvest was probably a great smell. It was a compliment, a positive message that communicated his love. Too often, I think, as parents and adults, we're quick to criticize and remind children of their mistakes. How could you be so clumsy and spill the milk? Or quit being lazy? Or you need to lose some weight? Or you're just a child. What do you know about love and identity? These words of criticism don't really accomplish much. All they do is cause a child to withdraw. I think there's obviously room for constructive criticism, but it's more important to communicate through love, uh, communicate love through the words that say, you're, some, you're worth something. 
I'm glad that God gave you to us. You're better than any present I could ever receive. Those words that communicate acceptance and love, those are words that communicate acceptance and love, and they need to be spoken over and over again, even when our children stumble and fall. So that's the second ingredient, words of affection and love. The third ingredient is assuring them of their value. Notice what Isaac says in verse 28. He says, May God give you of heaven's dew and of earth's richness and abundance of grain and new wine. He's saying, you're special. God will give you the best he has to give. And it's especially important for us to teach our children, you're so valuable that God even came into the world and died on the cross just for you. It's not just by words, though. We can teach this in a number of ways. A lot of the time when a child comes to us, we're so busy. Um, we have one eye on the TV or, and one eye on them, or we're reading the newspaper and we don't look up, um, and we can't concentrate on what they're saying. So when a child comes to you, turn off the TV, set aside the newspaper, step away from the keyboard, and listen to what they have to say. This communicates value. It says, you're worth something. You're more important to me than the news or this show, or even more important than the Toronto Raptors beating the Golden State Warriors to win their first championship ever on Thursday. (laughs) Most of the children were probably asleep at that time, but... You're a valuable part of our family. I'm glad God gave you to us. And whenever you have something you need to talk about, I'm here to listen. Again, I'm not a father yet, but this is a lesson that I already needed to learn when I first got married. Um, You see, I play a we'll say a good amount of video games on my computer at home. And while I'd be playing a game, I seemed to put a barrier between me and Rachel. And I'd get distracted when she tried to talk to me. I needed to learn that communication with Rachel deserves my full attention. Rather than trying to have a conversation with her while also playing a game, I needed to give her priority to show her that she is loved and valued. She's probably smirking at me be using past tense right now, but we'll just say I'm a work in progress. So the third ingredient is assuring of the assurance of value. And that brings us to the fourth and final ingredient of this blessing. And that is picturing a glorious future. Verse 29, Isaac says to Jacob, May nations serve you and peoples bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers and may the sons of your mother bow down to you. May those who curse you be cursed, and those who bless you be blessed. Here, Isaac is helping him to raise his sights, to see that his future is bright. That is an important responsibility of parents. Most of you will know that passage in Proverbs 22, verse 6, which says, Train a child in the way they should go, and when they're older, they won't turn from it. We've always kind of made a spiritual application there that teaching them the things of God Or teach them the things of God, and when they're old, they won't forsake them. But there's another application. We are to help our children find their niche, discover who they are and why they've been made, because God made them special. So as they're growing up, help them to understand their gifts and talents, what they're best suited to do in life. Counsel and guide them to be the kind of person God wants them to be. And don't make the mistake that some parents make, and some adults make, of trying to get our children to become what we want them to be instead of what God made them to be. I wonder how many people have tried to force their children into becoming something that God never equipped them for. 
or intended them to become. Our responsibility as parents is to help them see themselves see themselves for who they really are and to help them prepare for a glorious future. No Phil Clausen sermon would be complete without a Lord of the Rings reference. So I think of Samwise Gamgee speaking to Frodo Baggins in Peter Jackson's adaptation of The Return of the King. They are near the end of their quest and things are looking very bleak. So close to the end, but how could they possibly get there? It's amidst all the sulfur and ash and fire that Sam says to Frodo, Do you remember strawberries, Mr. Frodo? He goes on to talk about all the great things that they left behind and all the things they have to look forward to at the end of the quest, at the end of the journey. Um, The party tree, Sam's childhood crush, Rosie Cotton. When things are bleakest, Sam helps Frodo picture a glorious future in the same way. I think, so then, in summary, these are the four blessings that we get from uh, from this blessing of Isaac, or the four ingredients, I should say. Um, that will help hold the family together. We have a meaningful touch. We have words of affection and love. We have assurance of value. And we have a picture of a glorious future. This morning, God is the perfect parent who has conveyed to us all the ingredients of his blessing in just one verse of scripture. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall have eternal life. You're all probably familiar with the story of the prodigal son, and Nate was actually right. We are going to talk about that this morning a little bit. But let's actually look at it with a different twist. Uh, As told in a modern setting by Philip Yancey in his book, What's So Amazing About Grace? Yancey tells the story of a prodigal daughter who grows up in Traverse City, Michigan. Disgusted with her old-fashioned parents, she believes who they overreact to her nose ring, to the music she listens to, and the length of her skirts. She runs away. She ends up in Detroit, where she meets a man who drives the biggest car she's ever seen. The man with the big car, she calls him Boss, recognizes that since she's underage, men would pay premium for her. So she goes to work with him. Things seem good for a while. At least no one's trying to get her to change. But then she gets sick for a few days, and it amazes her how quickly the boss turns mean. Before she knows it, she's out on the street without a penny to her name. She still turns a couple tricks a night, but all the money she gets goes to support her drug habit. One night, while sleeping on the metal grates of the city, she began to feel less like a woman of the world and more like the little girl. She begins to whimper, God, why did I leave? My dog back home eats better than I do now. She realizes more than anything in the world that she wants to go home. Three straight calls home, get three straight connections with the answering machine. Finally, she leaves a message, Mom, Dad, it's me. I was wondering about maybe coming home. I'm catching a bus up your way. It'll get there about midnight tomorrow. And if you're not there, I'll understand. During the seven-hour bus ride, she's preparing a speech for her father. And when the bus comes to a stop in Traverse City Station, The driver announces a 15-minute stop, 15 minutes, to decide how to proceed with her life. She walks into the terminal not knowing what to expect, but not one of the thousand scenes that she played out in her mind prepares her for what she sees. There in the terminal stands a group of 40 brothers and sisters, aunts and uncles, a cousin, a grandmother, a great-grandmother. 
They're all wearing party hats and blowing noisemakers. And taped across the terminal wall, there's a banner that reads, Welcome Home. Out of the crowd of well-wishers breaks her dad. She stares out through the tears in her eyes and begins her memorized speech. But he interrupts her. Hush, we have no time for that. No time for apologies. We'll be late. There's a big party waiting for you at home. We want you to respond this morning by accepting God's invitation to the big party that's waiting for us. It doesn't matter what we've done or how we've messed up. In the past, our loving Father wants to reach down to touch us, to speak to us, to tell us how valuable we are, and to help us see the glorious future that we have in him. But there's also a lesson for our own relationships. And it's not just for parents in the room about how to respond to your children. It's for all of us. Let's check in real quick again with Jacob and Esau. You see, years after the events of Jacob deceiving their father and stealing the birthright of his brother and his blessing, we come to a scene not unlike the end of the prodigal son or daughter story. Jacob's preparing to meet Esau again for the first time since learning that Esau meant to kill him for stealing the birthright and blessing. Jacob has sent many gifts and offerings ahead of time to try to appease his brother, but he's still very, very nervous. As Jacob's family is approaching Esau's family in Genesis 33, verse 3 to 4, we read, Jacob himself went on ahead and bowed down to the ground seven times as he approached his brother. But Esau ran to meet Jacob. He embraced him. He threw his arms around his neck and he kissed him. And they both wept. After the deception, we know that Esau Esau resented his brother. Esau missed out on the blessing from his father and he became bitter and angry. However, in this story, we see God's forgiveness at work even in Esau's life. Even though Jacob wronged him and right until their meeting, he thought, there's no way Esau will ever forgive me. In that moment, Esau displayed the same love that the father of the prodigal daughter did. In the same way, God calls us home and forgives us when we think, there's no way. And like Esau, we're meant to do the same. So as the band uh, comes back up, we're left with an invitation and a challenge this morning. The invitation is this. No matter what you've done, no matter how bad you think it is, Come, God is inviting you home, full of forgiveness and wanting to throw you a big party. But here's the challenge for all of us. Just as God invited us home, we need to be filled with his spirit to forgive our brother or sister, our son or daughter, our mother or father, the neighbor, the stranger, and welcome them home. Welcome them home and bless them with a meaningful touch, with words of affection and love, assurance of value, and help them picture a glorious future together in Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the awesome forgiveness that you offer each one of us. Thank you for uh, that, that realness that we see in that forgiveness in the story of the prodigal son, the prodigal daughter, the story of Jacob and Esau, and uh, the love that Isaac bestows on his son through the blessing and we pray that in each of our individual families but also here in our greater church family and our community around us that we would be able to to 
show this, show that love and show that forgiveness to, to everyone who comes across our path, and that we would continue to be more like you. listening. For any questions about the message or to contact any of our pastors, please visit scottstreetchurch.ca.